the good, the bad, the ugly. Welcome to Sustain Nutrition's podcast, Chewing the Fat, where Joe and James will be discussing all things good, bad and ugly regarding training and nutrition. So pull up your pants, put your best foot forward and get ready for some serious oral pleasure. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Joe and James. Sustain Nutrition, Chewing the Fat podcast, episode 121. With Today, we're joined all the way from Texas by Jessica Setnik and we are going to be talking everything eating disorders this was a very interesting chat with some surprising definitions I would say of what typically people think of eating disorders sit back grab a cup of tea and enjoy the chat so we are joined today by the lovely Jessica Setnik all the way from Sunny Texas. I'm presuming it's sunny. It's really cold here. Um, she's joining us this morning, this afternoon for me, and we're going to be talking all about eating disorders. So, Jessica, would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what you do and how you help people. Yes, I'd be happy to. So, I had an eating disorder, but didn't realize it because of how our society, at least here, is so. Um, immune to dysfunctional eating behaviors and thinks of them as, as good things. And so I didn't even realize when I was planning to go to school to become a dietitian that I was really a very um, dysfunctional eater myself. And going through school, um, or before I started school, I realized I needed to shape up if I was going to help other people. So I am in my own eating disorder recovery. And then the parts of school that really appealed to me were the psychology of eating and the choices people make. And even though I think that belongs in every area of nutrition, really 25 years ago, eating disorders was the only area where it was sort of kosher to talk about that stuff. And so that's how I got into the eating disorder field and then have worked in different, different capacities, you know, in a hospital for children with eating disorders and um, in my own private practice and as a consultant for facilities. And now what I do is I educate health professionals. So I enjoyed one-on-one with individual clients who are struggling with their eating, but my dilemma was this is a one at a time kind of process and not enough people are getting care. And too many people are reporting that they went down a, an ineffective path based on the advice given to them by doctors and things like that. So I realized I want to get to the primary care professionals and educate them so that the ripples go out. So what I do now is I pretty much sit on my computer or phone all day and I consult with other health professionals who are helping people and I use those same skills. So today I I wanted to sort of share some of those ripples um, to a different audience rather than health professionals, individuals who may be struggling themselves. Oh yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. I'm sure there's going to be some bits that maybe I kind of like aha moments for some people or some other bits where they might be able to identify, oh, right. Maybe that is a red flag for either themselves or maybe a loved one as well. So kind of move yeah. on from that. Like, I, I sort of go come at, at from all my presentations and, and interviews with, with three levels, right? So I imagine the individuals out there as 
you know, level one is maybe I didn't even really think of eating disorders as a problem and, and what that even is about. And so I want to raise their awareness. And the second group might be someone who's thinking, oh, I wonder if there's someone in my life, I've kind of, you know, noticed these interesting or different eating behaviors and, and not really understood them, maybe I can bring them a level of understanding about that person. And the third is someone who identifies that they themselves are struggling, and I'd like to give them you know, an idea of, of that it's okay to, to get help, that professional help is not, you know, for certain kind of crazy people, it's for certain kind of crazy situations. And we all find ourselves in crazy situations sometimes. Oh, yeah, I could back that up. So how would you define or identify an, an eating disorder? What kind of defines disordered eating, I suppose? Sure, sure. So I actually um, try not to use the word eating disorder, even though I know my bio it says I'm an eating disorder expert, because those are the words that people identify with. But I also think they're very limiting. So I think eating disorders, when you hear those words, you sort of go to these very specific sort of personas in your mind, these very specific avatars. And so I prefer to use the term dysfunctional eating behavior, meaning that your eating is not moving you toward your goals. And so clearly that can be different for everyone. Right. So, you know, my goals are totally different, perhaps maybe not totally different, but they may be different from your goals. And so what's dysfunctional eating for me may be different for you. And so I like to talk about dysfunctional eating versus supportive eating is your eating supporting your goals versus taking away from your goals. Eating disorders is sort of a very specific medical term. Right. And so the, the eating disorders have these very defined diagnostic criteria and I feel like those, A, put people in boxes, and B, not everyone with an eating disorder fits in those boxes. So, so I prefer to sort of steer away from the terms eating disorder and toward dysfunctional eating because I feel like that more describes what we're really talking about, which is eating that takes someone away from their goals, eating that, that you know, doesn't sort of uplift and, and fulfill them in their life, but instead is making them feel regret or worry or something worse. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think as soon as you say eating disorder, people go automatically, and you know, myself included, will go to anorexia, bulimia. They're yeah. probably the most common ones. So people won't recognize or wouldn't have thought that they have, you know, disordered eating or right. eating disorder. Exactly. And you know um, what? The most common eating disorder actually is binge eating disorder. Anorexia and bulimia are the ones we think of, but they're actually not the most common. Isn't that interesting? What would you class binging as? Because from my side, I think it's almost overused for people who overindulge. They'll sometimes okay. say, and then I, I had a binge. And it's like, well, did you have a binge or did you just regret the amount of you know, right, exactly. or biscuits? So someone, someone who is planning to eat half a sandwich and they eat a whole sandwich and they feel like they ate too much. I totally get what you're saying. So the key to binge eating is actually not how much you ate, it's the feeling of loss of control. The feeling of loss of control is what defines binge eating. Loss of control, regret after eating, or eating alone be due to embarrassment of eating. So it's actually more than just the quantity of food. I'm glad you mentioned that's, that. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really helpful because that is, they're common things that we see with our clients that we help them with, and it's kind of, People eating in the car, you know, people calling in at like supermarkets and things or drive-throughs and eating in the car or eating in the kitchen when the family's in another room or eating yes. when everyone else yes. has gone to bed. So that would quantify as binge eating. Yes. Yeah, and you know, really the, the, the most important question for someone to ask themselves 
you know, as far as is my eating dysfunctional? And it's not, it's not a guarantee that this will spot it, but the, but it's the key question is, do I eat differently when I'm alone? Mm. That to me is crucial because that sort of splits the difference between the things I'm ashamed of doing with my eating versus the things that I'll allow other people to see. Right. That, well, yeah. So that, I suppose that really kind of answers the, how do you identify it? This dysfunctional yeah. eating as well. Because what you were saying is eating in the car and, um, you know, ordering food, eating in the kitchen, all of those things could be supportive, right? It just depends. But if someone is eating in the car because they don't want anyone to see them or they don't allow themselves to eat in public or the things that they would eat in the car are different things. They might eat a salad in front of friends, but they might eat a box of cookies in the car, right? So those, those behaviors that you described might be perfectly fine. If someone's eating in the car on the way to soccer practice, that might be really supportive to their needs because they've got to get that, that nutrition in before they are active. But on the other hand, it's if they're hiding, if they're ashamed, if they take the packages and you know hide them in the garbage so that no one can see them, those are the signs that would say it's a problem as opposed to just the amount of food. Yeah, I think that that second one where kind of people hiding wrappers and things like that. And again, just asking that question of like, do I would I do this in public or would I do this in front of my family members or my friends? I think that one's really going to resonate with a lot of people. So in the kind of the dieting industry right now, you know, there's a lot of calorie deficit and this and that. And lots of people kind of label that as potentially disordered eating. Is that something you agree with? You know, if someone's not, um, I'm trying to think of the word when people go like, to it's like orthodexic or something like that. Oh, orthorexic, you're close. Orthorexic, yeah. that's the one. Yeah, I was, I was getting yeah. that. Give me another 30 okay. minutes and I got that. Um, yeah, so, yeah. That's something that no. you kind of agree with. So here's the definition to me of where the line is, okay? With that is if you walk away from your periodization or whatever, you know, calorie deficit, that kind of thing, whatever it is you're doing, if you say, wow, yes, this is supportive to my goals. This makes me feel good. I'm physically well and mentally well and, you know, socially well, then be my guest. I think it's challenging, but there are people who that, that kind of eating really is supportive to their goals. But on the other hand, I think the vast majority of people find that those kind of calorie deficits or commercial diets, what they find is it impairs my social functioning. I can't eat with other people. I can't, I don't want to bring my scale to a restaurant you know, those kind of things. If I'm tired, I don't want to participate in the things I used to enjoy. If, if there's that regret after eating, it makes me anxious, those kind of things. That's where the dividing line, again, is not what you eat or how much. To me, the dividing line is, is this supportive to the way you want to live your life? And so orthorexia, to me, could be two people eating exactly the same things, but one person feels inspired and loves going to the farmer's market to get their fresh produce, and meal preps on Sunday and involves their kids, let's say, in helping them in the kitchen. And it's part of a sort of thriving, sustainable life versus someone else who eats the exact same thing, has the exact same, let's say, meal plan. And yet they are crying in the kitchen. They are spending all their baby's diaper money on special food, right? And so it's the same food that they're eating, but this one, in one sense, it's supportive to a positive life. And in the other sense, it's really draining and negative. 
And I actually have a handout on understanding orthorexia because the idea that you can try to be too healthy and then become unhealthy is a really kind of hard tautology. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's kind of a hard thing to wrap your mind around. And so I'd be happy to share that with you and you could put it in the show notes for people to look at it if they're interested. Yeah, 100%. And it is, it's, it's the frame that you look at these things and those, how those skills apply to you. Because using myself as an example, if I'm looking to elicit some fat loss or if I'm looking to you know, add some strength, then I will track my calories. However, if I go over my calories or if I go under my calories or if I don't hit my targets, it doesn't affect me. You know, I'm not like, oh my God. It's just information. Second, sorry. It's just information. Yeah. Whereas I know other people, if they go over by 100 calories, then they just quit the day and then they'll go way over. You know, they'll use that as like a, a measurement of success or failure. Whereas I'm just like, ah, I've gone over by 100 calories. It'll mm-hmm. level itself out. So, like you said, it's the same situation, it's the same method but two totally different results. And kind of on a, a side note, I put up a, a post the other day saying about just being aware of um, added fats in meals and how, you know, they can be the difference of, you know, a couple of 200, 300 calories. So use the example of uh, like a low-fat spray oil, which is basically it's just oil that's watered down and then it's got some xanthan gum in to thicken it up a little bit. And someone went on saying, no, you shouldn't have – these uh you know processed foods and i think that can be a big barrier for people when they're trying to uh be too perfect and you know just eat foods from nature and then if they have you know like a cookie or something then everything's gone to pot they've done something that's bad and i suppose you know i'm sure we'll talk later on about kind of relationships with food like good and bad food and naughty and this is nice because it's unhealthy like your health's not going to be dictated whether you have a cookie or not. It's, well, you're, you're, you're bringing up so many thoughts in my head. The first one is, man, people are so judgy. Everyone loves to judge themselves, <laughs> right? You don't know oh, other yes. people's situations, right? Unless you have done a thorough nutrition assessment, you do not know what someone else's nutrition needs are, and you might just keep your big mouth shut. Okay. Um, <laughs> setting that aside... Um, it absolutely good and bad is such a moral judgment, right? And and even what's good or bad changes depending on our culture, changes depending on, you know, what food is available. A lot of people, I mean, a youngster like us, you know, we don't realize that back in World War II times when there was rationing, that certain things were, people were told not to eat them because it somehow helped the war effort. And yet those things then became so desirable, right? Like when you're told you can't eat something. So there's all these different reasons why we label things good and bad that may actually be things that, that we've sort of inherited, right? There's no one alive who didn't, isn't the descendant of someone who was either in a war situation, a refugee, the Great Depression. Like we all come from people who had to eat what they ate when they had it because they might not have something else. So we have all these food rules. So the good and bad, we really have to look at it. I I think the best words are supportive. Is this supportive to my goals versus is this detracting from my goals? And that is so different for every single person. That's why, uh, you know, it takes a dietitian, you know, maybe six weeks of assessments, you know, an hour a week to get to the bottom of what's going on with someone's eating. So for someone to just flippantly, you know, comment on one of your posts that what you're doing is wrong. That just says more about that person to me than it does about your nutrition. Yeah, I pretty much said that good for you. 
but even you know just going to the question there because i think people can get caught up on this as well if you if you look at some food and you go is this supportive towards my goals well my goal is to drop body fat increase my confidence my self-esteem you know all these things so you could look at that cookie and go well is this supportive to my goals well it's not because it's just empty calories but on another level if your goal is to be consistent and enjoy the foods that you're eating and get control of the foods that you eat and give yourself permission to have these things, then 100% it is. So it's, That's it's, right, because you're adding in supportive, yeah. not just to my goal of physical, let's say, superiority or perfection or health or whatever word, you know, that individual would use, physical success. But there's also, you know, you're not just a physical being, right? We've got physical, emotional, spiritual, intellectual, social. And so absolutely, if what not eating that cookie means going home and eating a box of cookies, then that's not supportive, right? If, if it means that you can't go to a party with your friends because there might be a cookie there, right? Then that's impairing your social functioning. So I, I think it is a bigger picture. And also, as I think you, you sort of mentioned it before and it went by pretty fast, no one food is going to make or break you. And so that's where looking at one cookie and saying, is this supportive to my life is too much pressure on that one cookie, right? Because it's really, you know, good health is what you eat over days, weeks, and months. And to make it sound like that cookie makes or breaks you is leads to what you just described earlier, which is feeling like, oh, the day's ruined, right? And so I might as well eat as many cookies as I can because then I'm going to start again fresh tomorrow. But you're not a new body or a new person tomorrow, right? So it seems like it would make more sense to sort of evaluate kind of, you know, in a big picture. For someone with an eating disorder, eating a cookie might be a great triumph and a success, right? And for someone else, eating a cookie is more like, oh, well, there's only one cookie left. I'll just finish it off. And that doesn't actually feel fulfilling or let's say sustaining like your name of your show. It's not sustaining to my spirit to eat a cookie just because I don't want any leftovers. But that's where we end up with those sort of depression era mentality. I can't leave food over. I mean, it's so complicated for each and every person. So to, to put to look at a cookie and say, is this cookie going to make or break me is way too much. It's too much pressure on us, but it's also too much pressure on the cookie because a cookie at the end of the day is what? Flour, sugar, fat, right? I mean, your body doesn't know that much difference between eating a cookie and eating a piece of bread with butter on it. But we put so much more emotional weight on it. It's not just a cookie anymore. It's like success or failure. That, and that's, you know, the kind of the example that you said that. So I always explain when people talk about um, eating something healthy or eating something unhealthy. Like for me, health is dictated, like you said, by all your food choices. It's not just by one food choice. If I have a pizza, I'm not unhealthy. Okay, is it the most nutrient-dense food? No. Is it, you know, the most calorie-dense food? Well, it's getting there. But if you look at my food across the week, that's going to give you a greater indicator of whether I am, you know, so-called healthy or whether I'm making healthy choices or not. Well, and one thing I think people don't always realize is that um, your body does store nutrients, right? So if for one day I didn't have any green vegetables, that doesn't mean I'm going to be deficient in vitamin K tomorrow, right? So we sometimes can, when we get, when someone gets an interest in nutrition and that's sort of exciting, it, it is easy to focus on the very micro details, but you you need to remember that that your body keeps going, right? Your body, even at night, even when we're asleep, right? So it's not a, an issue of, did I get in every nutrient I needed every hour of every day? 
luckily your body has the ability if you let's say don't eat any protein at a meal i mean i would recommend that you try but if you miss a meal with protein your body doesn't become deficient in protein immediately it's just not how your body works and so i feel like all the science that we know about nutrition can be misinterpreted to the idea that we need to intellectually control our nutrition and we forget how much trust we can put in our body i mean the crazy thing is you put an apple or something in your body and then what happens to it? I mean, it's so fascinating to think about that, you know, you chew it, you swallow it, all that time it's getting broken down. It gets mashed in your stomach. It goes into your intestines, the right nutrient ingredients, the right molecules go to the right place to get absorbed into your bloodstream and then somehow get turned into energy in your mitochondria. Like the idea that these things happen without our conscious control is amazing. I mean, it's a miracle if you want to think about it that way. It's amazing biologically if you want to think about it that way. But the idea that we've spent so much time trying to control what gets in our mouth in the first place, and then once we swallow it, we have no control over it at all. And yet somehow it all gets to the right place. Maybe that that trust in our body could extend a little bit more to not feeling so preoccupied with every bite we put in it. If we remember that our body knows what to do with it once it gets it. Yeah, 100%. It's just that holistic approach. And I think people get caught up again, like going, well, food's just fuel. Like, no, food should be pleasurable, but we also should be in control of when we choose to have that pleasure or not. Sure. Um, There's nothing you know, wrong with enjoying your fuel. There's nothing wrong with enjoying your fuel. Otherwise, we'd all just eat Oliver Twist gruel all day, right? I mean, you want to have food that is pleasing visually, pleasing to your taste buds, right? Food that you can eat in a social context. I mean, that's one of the things I feel like is really lost. But if you look back at sort of cultural cultures, let's say throughout time, you know, every culture has that big pot. Like in Spain, it's the giant paella, right? Like every culture has some big pot dish that everyone contributes to and everyone gets to eat from. And we've sort of lost that in our cultures where everyone goes inside their house and, you know, does their own thing. And, and I feel like that cultural aspect of food is really missing, not the cultural cultures itself, but the community. That's what I meant. The community aspect of food. Uh, in so many ways, we're detached from where does our food even come from, right? You never meet the person who actually grew your food. And so it, it would be, I think, better for us to, to think, I like that you use the word holistic, um, but, but holistically about our food. And I do think there's some of that. People are trying to eat more sustainably. And people are trying to eat more ethically. And I think all that's absolutely great, but it has to be in the big picture. I think it's when anyone focuses in too much on any one factor that we start to get kind of, um, I don't know, I can't think of what the right word is, but when you just, you sort of hone in on something and you can't see anything else. Yeah, when people get blinkered. Yes, thank you. Again, because we're working with people who are wanting to elicit fat loss, you know, that's part of their goal. But along that way, we're trying to fix the things that have caused them to gain weight previously. And it can be that that guilt and that fear of failure. And, you know, even going right back to that, saying like, is this decision supporting my goals? And like I said before, if your goal is to be consistent, then that meal out for your daughter's birthday, where she's chosen to go to whatever, eat burgers or pizza or something, that is supporting your goals because you know, our aim is for it to be longevity. It's not, right, we've got 12 weeks, how much fat can you lose? It's got 12 weeks, how much can we get you in control of your food choices so you have long-term success? So that meal out, eat pizza, I'm not feeling guilty. 
I love everything you're saying. I love every single thing you're saying. And the thing that we haven't touched on yet, at least very much, is are the choices you're making based on the present moment or are they conditioned from your past? And that's sort of my my special gift, I think, is helping people figure out why they are making the choices that they then regret, right? And so there's lots of different paths to that. One is we never talk enough about food being a mood-altering chemical. It is the first mood-altering chemical we are exposed to. Hopefully, you aren't exposed to too much drugs or alcohol in utero. Usually, the first mood-altering chemical we're exposed to is food. And even your, your, your infancy experiences with food can affect you later. And what people tend to say to me is, oh, that happened so long ago, it's not affecting me anymore. And I say, the longer ago it happened to you, the more of your life it is affecting because of you didn't develop those skills. So I'll just give you an example of a client I had once who was a very su- financially successful adult. And he had very disorganized eating behaviors. He would eat a little amount in the restaurant with his girlfriend, and then he would go home and eat. He had had all these meals made by a professional chef and put in the freezer so that they would be in one portion sizes. And he'd just go defrost 10 of them and eat 10 one portion meals after he had just had a very light dinner at home or at a restaurant. And so we talked about what was going on. And I asked him about, you know, when he was a kid, tell me about your eating as a child. What, what if you wanted more to eat during between meals, things like that. And he said, oh, no, that's not affecting me anymore. And I said, just humor me. Okay, let's talk about it. Well, it turned out that this gentleman had been adopted into his family and his parents also had a biological son, his brother. So this, my client's body size was different from his parents and his brother. He was just biologically a different size. And so when they would eat meals, his brother, who was more slender, was allowed to have as much as he wanted. My client was only allowed to have one portion. So carry that forward. And you're talking about a man who can have anything he wants, but in public, he only has his designated one portion. And then when he's alone, he's eating anything he wants. And he didn't have the autonomy to be able to say, I'm hungrier than whatever this one small portion is. I'd like an appetizer. I'd like dessert. And so those childhood experiences were really affecting him as an adult. And it's the kind of thing that I think people don't realize a lot that those are formative years, the way that we are taught to think about food. So the question then becomes, how does he go into a restaurant and, and let go or set aside those behaviors? And, did, you know, I mean, I think parents in general, and this is, there are exceptions, of course, but I think parents in general are trying to help. So how can he go into a restaurant and say sort of in his mind, like, thank you, parents, for trying to help me, but I don't need your advice anymore. I'm a 50-year-old man. And then actually decide what he wants to eat with his own decision-making power of which he runs businesses right? And he's a logical fellow. So how does he make that decision based on the present moment instead of letting those past experiences affect him? And I think we all don't give enough credit to how those younger years experiences may still be influencing us. Yeah, my job as a coach, like I said, is not so much, okay, let's put you in a calorie deficit and do this, is trying to unpick why you need my help. So looking at things like 
that so th this man has well again I'm filling a lot of holes he's got a false belief that he has to eat in private or that he can't be seen to consume a lot of food because of this learned behavior from his past right. yeah you know if he went to the restaurant and just like you said kind of gave himself permission to go I'm gonna have a starter, I'm gonna have a main course, I'm gonna have dessert. He probably wouldn't have the needs to go up. Like obviously he's not got the need to He might not even finish the dessert. He might not even finish yeah. the meal, right? Yeah. Because the permission, so the, reason, the permission is so key. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's not eating those 10 meals because he's hungry. He's eating those 10 meals because he feels like it adds something to his life, like that level of control that he didn't have. And I think that's not a hard sell for us, but it's a tough one to get people to recognize, like. You're not doing this because you're greedy. You're not eating this just because you like sweet things. You're eating this because you believe that it's adding something to your life or it's filling a hole. Or And when you unpick that, that's when you get that kind of that freedom. That's when you get that real control of your food choices. Like I'm sure your client has now or is working on it now where they can do that. So amazed that we've never crossed paths before because we think so alike. I love it. And I love that you are trying to help people be, you know, be consistent and sustainable and look back at those things. And and something you said that I love is that, you know, you're not eating because you're greedy, like you're a good person, right? So are you do you do you sneak other things? Do you sneak money out of your out of little old ladies' purses? No. But so if you're sneaking candy bars in the pantry, like something is wrong here, not with you, but with the situation. There's some beliefs, some false beliefs that are, you know, that are interfering here. And I, I don't know that I've ever heard a coach take that attitude. And so I, I'm delighted to hear that that's the, the approach you take. Oh, good. We're, we're just trying to do our bit, but, you know. That's why we call ourselves sustained nutrition because I want my client to be happy with their choices, whether it's a chicken pizza or it's a chicken salad. It doesn't matter because they're both fine choices as long as you're happy and in control with those ones. So I know we kind of touched on it a little bit. What are some of the common causes you see of kind of disordered eating? Okay, so we've got four major categories and we talked about one, which is learned experiences or learned behaviors, learned from society, learned from family members. There's also um, biological reasons. And so there are people who have, you know, hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism or polycystic ovary syndrome or all kinds of different things, ADD, things that are can be medically treated, but they are often written off to, oh, you just need to lose weight. You just need to lose weight. And so unfortunately, we have sort of a medical system and, and I, I'm not totally familiar with what you have there, but I do have colleagues that are, you know, in your area that have told me it's it's similar, where if someone in the larger body comes in for care, they don't get the appropriate treatment, they get told to lose weight, lose weight, lose weight, like you have a sore throat, lose weight, you have an ingrown toenail, lose weight, like it doesn't make any sense, right? And so we end up with people who are using food, either to self medicate, let's say for ADD, or obsessive compulsive disorder, or anxiety or depression, or the, on the other hand, you have someone who is metabolically being guided to eat more, like someone with hypothyroid or something like that. And, uh, you know, so it's there's medical aspects to it that that I think we are not very good at evaluating as a <clears throat> as a culture. There's also addiction related aspects, right? We touched upon the idea that food is a mood altering chemical. And so when someone has either is in recovery from a different addiction, sometimes they switch over to food. 
We don't talk about the fact that throwing up after eating is mood altering, that abusing of laxatives is mood altering, that a lot of diet pills are stimulants. Those are mood altering. I mean, anyone who's gotten hangry and snapped at someone that they love and then ate and felt better, you get it, right? Food is a mood altering chemical. We don't usually use food to get high though. People use food just to feel baseline. And so then the question again becomes, why is someone walking around feeling so bad all the time that a box of cookies is what makes them feel better? So we've got biological reasons. We've got addiction-related reasons. We've got learned behavior. And then we've got stress and trauma. That would be the other major factor is that whether it's a community-wide trauma, like we're going through COVID right now, or whether it's an individual horrible event that happens, those stress and trauma, traumatic events can change our brain chemistry, but they can also change our experiences with food. So I'm thinking of here, one of our big, you know, sort of community-wide traumas was in New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina. You had people sitting on their roof with no food for three days, not knowing if they were going to be rescued. So you can have a traumatic event that has nothing to do with food that then changes your food and eating behaviors. But if you have a traumatic event that involves food, a situation where you didn't have any food, um, a situation where you're forced to eat things that you didn't want, any kind of traumatic event that happens with food is going to impact your food and eating relationship even more. Yeah. Um, so how would you begin or how do you work with clients to start to tackle certain different issues? So that's where my food fairy tales workbook comes in is it asks those questions. Like think about a timeline of your life and when is your first memory of food and things like that. So that, so that really opens people's eyes to the fact that we are all a product of all of our experiences rather than, you know, we sort of have this, I don't know if it's, it's not positive psychology. That's not quite the right word, but this idea of like, you wake up every day and you can create your reality. Like, from scratch. No, you carry every choice you've ever made and every situation you've ever been in. In some way, you carry that with you. And so it's not just wake up every day and create a new reality. It just is not that simple. And so um, that's, that's sort of the goal of my workbook is to help people kind of try to look at those things, also look at how they want their life to be, see the differences, and then take that to a professional, whether it's a coach whether it's a trainer, whether it's a dietitian, whether it's their doctor, whether it's their spouse, whether it's their best friend, and someone who's a support, whether it's their sponsor, if they're in a 12-step program, and someone that can then help them figure out how to get from here to there. But we have to go really far back in time to, to figure it out. It's not just a matter of, I made this mistake yesterday with my eating. I promise not to ever do it again. I don't know that that's ever actually helped someone change. At least yeah, sustainable. Try, try harder. That's one that I always pick up on. Like, well, that, that's implying that you weren't trying hard before, and I'm pretty sure you were. So it's not about trying harder. It's about trying smarter. And like you said, going Ooh, back and addressing try, try not to rely on willpower. Like, because that's not going to last. We need to try something different. Like you said, addressing those, those thoughts, those habits, those patterns, those triggers, the actions, you know, that – that's when you really want to get into the nitty gritty. And I think it maybe it puts people off a little bit because you just want like, oh, just tell me what supplements to take or just tell me what oh, workouts exactly. are. Like, exactly. No, I know that's what, work, people, I yeah. that's what people yeah, really want. Yes. Yes. You can stick to anything in the short term. Absolutely. But 
it's the sustainability and and also the the backlash right so if you if you change but then things get worse later down the road then you're not really looking at the big picture and i do hear that a lot but i just want to lose weight for my daughter's wedding things like that and and that that short term I, I know that sounds so alluring like i don't care what happens afterwards i just want to lose weight now but sometimes we can get to the bottom of things and realize, oh, well, the reason I want to lose weight for my daughter's wedding is because my ex is going to be there, you know, and we find out, oh, this really isn't about food and eating. This is about some unhealed grief and loss. And, you know, that probably needs to go to a therapist. But if you act it out with your food, it's never going to get, first of all, the emotions will never get solved. And then your food may end up in a, a let's say, a roller coaster. No one can see my hands except for you. But I, the way I think about it is that, you know, food is a pretty stable force in our lives. Like you don't have hugely different nutrition needs from day to day to day. But on the other hand, our emotions are a roller coaster and they change not only day to day, but within the course of a day, our emotions are, you know, if it's a really scary roller coaster, sometimes you get professional help, but even the most well-balanced, well-medicated person has lots of feelings a day. And, and those that's normal until your food and your feelings get mixed up. And now your food is on the roller coaster. And that's what we're trying to separate is not that you're a person who doesn't have feelings, but that your food doesn't get swayed so much that your food can stay consistent regardless of the other things that are happening in your life. And that's what I hear you saying too. Yeah. Yeah, It's about leveling up your coping mechanisms, recognizing your triggers, doing something different because like you said, it's almost like our brain does a little shortcut. So I'm unhappy. I want to be happy. What makes me happy? Biscuits, cookies, cake. And that's your shortcut. And that's, you know, that short-term uh, gratification piece. Like instantly I feel really good, even though I know I'm going to feel bad in an hour, two hours tomorrow. So it's looking at different actions that we can take that give the same reward. And again, it's all going to come down to the, in, the individual so yes, but each person you... has to recognize that's what they're doing. And sometimes people fool themselves yeah. and say, but I'm hungry, but I'm hungry. And so that's one of the main first things to figure out is, are you hungry? Or are you having, because what you just said is I, I'm sad and something and cookies will make me feel better. Already you're, you're at a good level because there's someone acknowledging the feeling as opposed to just, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for cookies. Yeah. Because no one ever got full eating cookies ever in the history of man. And it also it also didn't solve the sadness or whatever else was there. Yeah, hundred percent. It's like that short term fix. So how what steps can people take to start building a healthier relationship with food? Okay, so first of all, my suggestion one is to start thinking of food as molecules. Okay, no good and bad. It's just, it's molecules, molecules you put in your mouth and your body knows what to do with those molecules. But when you think about what are the, the molecules that you want your body to need, it's interesting because I think it takes the, the it's, it's harder to think about food as molecules, but it also takes away the, um, what's the right word? The, whatever associations you have with food. Like here's a box of Girl Scout cookies. I don't think you have Girl Scout cookies there, but maybe you do. But here's a box of molecules. Okay. Are these the molecules that are going to nourish me, fulfill me, you know, et cetera, right now? Or I have some bananas here. 
are these the molecules that I need right now? And I'm not saying we should walk around and go to a restaurant and be like, I'd like the molecules on in the taco, please, you know, but I just mean the idea that we take away all of the sort of outward manifestations that we add to food and think about it as food nourishment, right? It's molecules. So it has less of an emotional weight. Then my next suggestion is the apple test. And the apple test is really simple. I always joke that my mom invented it and your mom invented it, right? All our moms invented it. You're driving in the car and you see somewhere that you want to go and you're like, ooh, ice cream. Let's, or maybe you're taking a walk. Um, oh, let's get some ice cream. And your mom says, well, if you're hungry, I have a cut up apple in my purse. And that lets you know, <laughs> it gives you an idea of if you are hungry or not. Now, it's not a solid, bold, hard and fast rule, but it, think of something boring. If you love apples, or if you hate apples, then don't use the apple test. Use the carrot stick test or the saltine cracker test. Something that's kind of plain to you. And you would eat it when hungry. You wouldn't eat it for fun. So let's say you're using the apple test. And so what you would do is, you know, maybe let's say a colleague walks by and they're, they're eating something and you think, oh, I want to eat something. You ask yourself, would I eat an apple right now? And it's just, and eat, we can all do it right now. Would you eat an apple right now? I mean, I would. So I think after this interview, I'm going to find something to eat. But it doesn't have to be an apple. The apple test is just a test, means nothing about what my choice might be. I think I'm going to have an English muffin with peanut butter and jelly. Y'all probably don't call it an English muffin, do you? You probably just call it a muffin. Just a but muffin. A muffin. So I'm going to have a muffin with peanut butter and jelly when I get off. But the apple test is what helped me get there. The apple test is what helped me determine, am I fuel hungry as opposed to emotionally empty or something else. And so sometimes there may be a, an opportunity or when someone says, no, I wouldn't eat an apple, but I'm still going to eat something. And at least you're telling yourself, I'm going to eat something, but it's not for hunger. You're not sort of lying to yourself about the reason that you're eating. You're making a conscious choice as opposed to, I was hungry. That's why I ate a box of Girl Scout cookies. Yeah, it's something I get my clients to do um, if they're really tired is just have a little check-in with yourself before you make a decision. Ask yourself, am I eating this because I'm hungry? I'm eating this just because I'm tired. And sometimes mm -hmm. just pumping the brakes, just putting that little stop can help you just, like you said, kind of clarify, am I actually eating this because I want to eat it or because I need to eat it? It can make a big difference. Yes. So no, we yes. spoke, and, and spoke about shortly about mothers there. Go on, sorry. Go on about mothers. Oh, no. So, so I was just going to say, like, a lot of our listeners will be mums and they'll have kind of fussy, oh, okay. fussy eating children. What can we do about that so we don't end up creating kids with disordered eating? Yes. Yes. So the key for that is we have to take our expectations of what children will eat away. And we need to offer them food and they need to see us eat a variety of foods. And then we need to be totally zen about what they eat, right? There's a division of responsibility. And, and Ellen Satter is an excellent author. I can give you some of her book titles that you could put in the show notes if people want to try one of her books. Um, but she talks about the division of responsibility, which is that the parent's job is to provide a wide variety of food at appropriately spaced meal times and to provide a pleasant mealtime environment. So meals are not when people are being yelled at about their grades or things like that. So pleasant mealtime environment, appropriately spaced and wide variety of foods. And then the child's responsibility is 
what and how much they eat. And sometimes kids are not hungry and they don't eat and we think they should eat and we need to let that go. And sometimes they only eat one of the things that we put on their plate and we think they should eat everything on their plate and we need to let that go. We need to teach our kids autonomy about their eating. And so ironic because we want them to eat what we think they need to eat, but their internal wisdom is actually a lot better than ours. And I'll tell you my favorite study about this um, was done by smart dietitians. They gave three-year-olds and five-year-olds different size plates of macaroni and cheese on different days. So the three-year-olds ate the same amount, no matter what size you gave them, small, medium, or large portion. They ate what they ate and they wandered off to play. The five-year-olds ate a different amount depending on what size plate they had. So small plate, they ate a small amount of macaroni and cheese. Medium-sized plate, they ate a medium amount of macaroni and cheese. Give them a big plate of macaroni and cheese, they ate a bigger amount. So what we learned from that is that somewhere between three and five, we are essentially conditioning children to use external cues to guide their eating, whether it's the size of the plate, whether it's what we tell them they should eat. We really should instead be trying to keep them in that phase longer where they can determine how much they need to eat and, and sort of regulate themselves. So if a child wants something to eat an hour before dinner, my, the response in my home would have been, no, dinner's in an hour. The response in my home where I live now is, what do you think you could eat that would tide you over for an hour? Half a turkey sandwich, an apple, a banana, let's try it. And if the child is then not hungry for dinner, we've learned something. Wow, it turns out half a turkey sandwich really tides you a lot longer. Maybe next time we'll do a banana. And so you are teaching a child that it's appropriate to honor their hunger cues and to learn about what fits in different situations. So you're not trying to make them be perfect and you're also not trying to make them mini use. But it's hard. It's hard to let kids be autonomous when we think we know better. It's, you know, I've got a two and a half year old and he's like that. Like some days you will just eat an absolute ton of food. The other days he will hardly touch it. You're like, oh, come on, Max, have some of your chicken, have some of your broccoli. Um, but yeah, sometimes he just doesn't. And like I said, sometimes you'll want to eat an hour before we have dinner. You're like, oh, it's, it's dinner time soon. But yeah, no, well, I'll be actioning that. Um, yeah, and that's so interesting. Like you said, the, the difference between the three and the five-year-olds because so many of our clients will come and say like, I've always been taught to clear my plate. And if I did do that, and then that's rolled on with them to them finishing off their children's leftovers. So, mm. you know, that's always, again, because we work with a lot of kind of busy moms is I always finish off whatever the kids have left with us some pizza or yeah. whether it's fish fingers or yeah. whether it's chips. And, yeah. and, and we need and, to and normalize you know, either putting that. Yeah, we need to normalize either putting less on the kid's plate or putting the leftovers in a Tupperware and moving on or worst case scenario, throwing it away. And I don't really like this saying that I made up, even though I made it up, because for me, I don't like throwing away food, just like everybody else, right? My parents, grandparents grew up in the depression and you ate what you ate and you didn't, we say, you get what you get and you didn't throw a fit, right? It was like, you get what you get. But for us, it's a different situation. And if the if the last choice, if the only choice you have left is throwing it away or eating it, it's trash in the trash can or it's trash in your body. There's no good option at that point. Let's not put it in our body. Let's go ahead and put it in the trash can or the compost pile. My compost pile has saved me so much guilt because I felt like those sometimes, you know, that head of lettuce that goes to waste in the fridge, it's going in the compost. I no longer feel like a food waster. And 
So, you know, but that's the idea. We have to, we have to be gentle with ourselves and say, we learned these things because they were important to our parents or grandparents, but are we in a, in a, that level of a situation where someone has to eat that last chicken finger or can we just say, it's okay to just let it go. But I, I mean, I've had to sit in my office with clients and say, you know, here's a stale cracker, put it in the trash can. And they're just like, hesitant, 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 like, and I'm, they don't want the cracker. I'm just saying here, I'm going to put it in the trash can if you don't put it in the trash can. But it's so hard to break that habit of never wanting to throw food away. It's really hard. Yeah, it's very, very common as well. But I think that'll do us. That's been fantastic. Really, really interesting. There's some really, really great points there. So thank you so much again for joining us over the, over the pond. If people want to find out more about you or how you help people where can they find you please jessica so jessicasetnik.com is my main home page and then making food your friend again is the direct link to the workbook if they're interested in that and and i'd be happy to also give you those links so that you can put them in the show notes that would be fantastic so thank you again for joining us it's been fantastic agreed Enjoy.